Good afternoon it's Monday the 4th of January 2021 just after one o'clock welcome to UK Column News your host today Mike Robinson myself Brian Gerrish and we're delighted to be joined by David Scott bringing us northern exposure from north of the border and a bit chilly in this studio Mike yeah well it'll warm up with the lights but uh, did you enjoy your Christmas break uh, under lockdown there were certain limitations so some of it was enjoyable some of it wasn't because I wasn't able to fully socialize and uh, integrate with family and friends but of course I was just one of millions under the uh, new UK curfew well uh, we said in the Christmas special that perhaps uh, censorship and free speech freedom of speech would be a key issue for 2021 and uh, well 2021 it hasn't let us down uh, because uh, the news from this morning is that the Assange extradition has been denied by the High Court or by the court. Uh, so Julian Assange will not be extradited to the United States at this point in time. Uh, the judge uh, blocked this request because of concerns over uh, Assange's uh, uh, mental health and, and the possibility, sorry, I apologize, the possibility <laughs> that uh, uh, he would be uh, uh, at risk of committing suicide in the United States. However, the judge, uh, Vanessa Bretzer, said this, uh, that uh, should he be found guilty, should he have been found guilty of the offences uh, in the United States, that th that would amount to offences in this jurisdiction that would not be protected by his right to freedom of, of speech. So the judge uh, finding a way to avoid extradition, but absolutely making the point uh, or standing by the point anyway that the British government point that he would have been found guilty of certain offences uh, should uh, should he have been uh, actually taken to a full trial. Now you did uh, you got a little bit of the uh, uh, the video here. Uh, thanks very much to Drew from uh, Let Me Look TV uh, who sent us a little bit of this. So people were very happy outside the court uh, this morning. Now we're going to have a little bit more video from Drew uh, later on. Uh, and we'll see how the freedom of speech uh, aspect of this uh, has played out. Uh, but Brian, um, the, the judge at this point absolutely not uh, letting go this idea that uh, somehow Julian Assange has um, done something wrong. Yes. Well, they don't, they don't want to let him loose. No. At the end of the day, he's, he's trapped within the system and they don't want to let him go. Uh, and, He's on one um, level. We've got David Noakes and Lynn Thayer still in prison uh, in France as a result of trying to help people um, sick with cancer, but they're trapped in the in the system as well. They don't want to let them go. So it's it's not clear cut, is it? No. So let's uh, look at what else uh, Beretta said. Faced with the conditions of near total isolation without the protective factors, which limited his, his risk at Belmarsh, I'm satisfied the procedures described by the United States will not prevent Mr. Assange from finding a way to commit suicide. So this is the excuse they've used uh, for withholding uh, the extradition. Uh, the US is apparently going to appeal this. And then the question is, what happens? Uh, will he be kept in prison uh, during that appeal? Uh, well, there has been apparently a bail uh, application made by his defense team. That bail hearing will be on Wednesday, again at the Old Bailey. Uh, but uh, here's what uh, John Pilger had to say about this. Julian Assange has been discharged by the judge at the Old Bailey on grounds that he was too great a suicide risk of extradited to the US. This is wonderful. Uh, it's a face-saving cover for the British to justify their disgraceful political trial of Assange on America's behalf. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's absolutely right. Uh, and uh, well, Glenn Greenwald said the rejection by the UK court of the US government's request to extradite Julian Assange to stand trial on espionage charges is obviously great news. Uh, but the judge endorsed most of the US government's theories, uh, ultimately found the US prison system too inhumane uh, to permit extradition. Uh, I, I just wonder, Mike, whether they're not doing it at the moment because they, they don't want to hand that to Trump. Might this situation change with the Biden in post, I wonder? Uh, no, it, I mean, it, it's unlikely to change in the sense that they're still determined to prosecute if, with Biden, but Trump def definitely has the ability to, to offer uh, a pardon uh, as he leaves office, if he leaves office, and we'll come on to that uh, a little bit later on. But uh, David, uh, welcome to the programme. Happy New Year to you. Uh, what do you make of this this situation? It's uh, it seems very familiar. We've seen it before. Um, the the 
the line seems to go like this. We, we're not going to give you justice. You can't have justice. Uh, but if it looks too egregious, if it looks too, if it smells too bad, we'll find some excuse to give you something that might satisfy you, might feel like justice, as long as you, you give up the principles, as long as you surrender that there is no justice, that there is no freedom, there is no freedom of speech, as long as you surrender your liberty, we might have mercy if we, you know, we paint you crazy or, 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 or some other such excuse until it doesn't suit us anymore. So just give up your rights um, and then, uh, you know, depending on how it looks, depending upon the, the press coverage and the political tone at the time, we may or may not grant you a little reprieve. Um, well, let's have a look at uh, what's already the situation in the UK with respect to freedom of speech, because we have a little bit of video here. Again, thank you very much to Drew from Let Me uh, Look TV uh, for this. Um, have a listen. You, know, you may have to listen quite carefully to what's being said here, but have a listen to this. Uh, this is uh, somebody outside the Assange uh, trial, uh, a, an independent journalist, not mainstream media. But nonetheless, this was the reaction of the police to his presence. Oh, I'm away. asking you now to go back to your residence. Go back right. to your place. Of, go back to your place right. of residence. Listen, you've said to me today. Listen to me. Listen to me. You have said to me today. You have said, and it's on body worn camera. Please, that you have you said you're expressing let your the world of see this. Okay. So the one man has come out Doesn't to matter. exercise and to exercise his vocal cords and to you're exercise. Talking, you're talking no, 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 listen. You're talking and to exercise. His right to free speech. You're not allowed to, to say that. that what you... Did you hear that, David? He was there to exercise. You're not allowed to say that. Yeah, so, so he says he was there. He's to not allowed. He's not allowed to. He's not allowed to say it. He cannot utter the words. Wow. So that's City of London Police, uh, and uh, that was outside the Assange uh, trial this morning. Uh, the Assange hearing. Um, and, uh, well, it went on, the police then went on basically to threaten this person uh, further, saying that uh, they were expecting more people to turn up later in the day. This was about, I, th I believe, about eight o'clock this morning. Uh, so they were expecting uh, more people to turn up later in the day. They said if, if they saw him uh, again, uh, amongst other people, uh, that he would be arrested. Uh, and, uh, and so it went on. But that was City of London police, and uh, you have no right to free speech in the city of London. That's it. So we're getting a better idea as to where we are. While we let you think about that, David, I think I may have shown this little video clip before, but I'm going to show it at the start of 2021 because um, what does it show? Well, it shows people fighting back a little bit on free speech. So this is a bit of film. It's the M57 out of Liverpool, uh, which was sent in. And the key bit is coming up on your screen now. Uh, if you missed it, what was it? Well, it was the pandemic, yeah. which uh, we need clearly to talk about because pandemic has just controlled our Christmas, given us what Boris Johnson described as a blue Christmas, but essentially meant that Christmas, I think, is well on its way now to being crushed, to being wiped out. I think that's what the plan was. Uh, but we've got more to come, Mike. Uh, absolutely, because uh, here is Boris. Uh, he's saying this morning that there's no question this year is going to be tough, tough, tough uh, <laughs> and uh, tough weeks to come. More restrictions. Uh, there's no question it's going to be stricter measures uh, in due course. Uh, that basically the new the new variant, uh, whatever that means, uh, is so significantly stronger uh, in terms of uh, our number. Uh, than everything that's come before that we're going to have to lock down. The tier system just isn't working enough. We're going to have to lock down uh, even further. So apparently uh, on Sunday, uh, the UK recorded more than 50,000 new confirmed COVID cases. And we'll come on to the issue of uh, confirmation of COVID cases a little bit more in a minute. Uh, but that's uh, over 50,000 new confirmed cases for the sixth day in a row, according to the BBC uh, and other propagandists out there. Uh, Matt Hancock was on the Today programme this morning. Uh, he said that uh, the old tier system no longer strong enough 
to contain the spread of the virus. Uh, and uh, so we're going to have to uh, put uh, even stricter lockdown in place. Now, I was just speaking to somebody this morning who has just come off another two or three weeks of furlough, uh, extremely concerned that uh, uh, this new lockdown is going to put him straight back into furlough again. Uh, and of course, concerned that uh, while his company has been very good to him and, and has been giving him his full salary at this point, uh, that they may not be able to keep that up uh, as the, the coming weeks and months progress. Um, and uh, well, that's where we are. That's where we are. Well, where's it come from? Thank you very much to a number of people who said to us, I hope UK column early in next year is going to be looking at what Sage has been up to. So we followed that through. This is more or less some on air analysis. And David, if you want to come in on this, um, please do. Um, so what we've got is the 74th Sage meeting on COVID-19 that was held on the 22nd of December. Uh, last year via video teleconference. This is to make it all appear as though they're behaving themselves under the rules. Um, wanted to take our audience through this uh, reasonably quickly. There is, there's a lot here, but there's not a lot here. There's a lot of words. There's a lot <laughs> of sentences and paragraphs are there. But when you actually come to the substance, it's thin on the ground. But here was the situation update, and it started off with our estimates continue to increase and are clearly above one in London, the Midlands, the South East and the East, East of England. Now in these, which are minutes released to the general public, there's no documentary evidence to support any of these claims. There's no statistics or anything, uh, but it's going on saying it's concerning estimates have now also moved above one in the Southwest of England, where capacity to cope with increased hospital admissions is more limited. Well, we haven't been hearing any major stress from hospitals in the Southwest. And we're going to talk a bit more about hospitals a little bit later on. But it, it goes on to say here, doubling time estimates are currently very heterogeneous, likely reflecting a changing situation, but in some smaller areas are as short as a week. Uh, so the key bit there that the R estimates continue to increase and are clearly above one in London, but there's no evidence to support that at all. So, David, with a little bit of your um, engineering uh, analytical uh, mind, I don't know whether you want to comment on that opening statement, but it seems these are words on paper. They sort of sound good, but when you start to say what are they really saying, it all begins to fall apart. It's, it's, it's witchcraft, but it's not really very good witchcraft. The capacity to cope in London in the southeast, uh, in the part of the hospitals, is more limited. I love that one. So we, we can't get away with saying we've no capacity to cope because people would just snigger because we've all seen the, the videos of the empty hospitals and we can't lock up everyone who's put them up, although we've blocked up some people. Um, so we have to admit that, that, that there is capacity in the hospitals because people know the figures. In fact, there's more capacity in the hospitals than there was last year. So we can't lie about that because people have the numbers. So we're going to compare London in the southeast to the rest of the country and say the capacity is more limited, which is completely meaningless. But it sounds right. It sounds like there's a problem. This is all they've got. Matt Hancock, is this all you've got? It, it, is, it is all he's got. And let's look more at what you've described as witchcraft. It's certainly wordcraft. Here's paragraph two. And it says that those are estimates rely on lagged data and cannot yet account for the most recent impact of policy changes or any changes in transmission that have not yet been reflected in epidemiological data. So, so we're not quite sure what's going on here. Well, this, this is uh, really uh, pushing the, the narrative that uh, because the statistics or because the, uh, the effect of infection follows two or three weeks after the positive test result or the positive uh, uh, yeah. infection, uh, then they can't really know exactly how things are. So it's just an estimate. Uh, but of course, there's, I haven't seen any mention of how, these, how this data is being gathered in the first place. Is there any real estimate on the false positive rate of PCR tests in this? 
well not for this group because they're ignoring that but yeah good point there Mike the other end um, sentence there changes in testing behaviors also increase the uncertainty changes in testing behaviors also increase the uncertainty so the behaviors that they've given us to follow they haven't tested but that's changing uncertainty around the virus i've read some of this several times i find it very difficult to get my head around what they're actually saying and this isn't scientific language this is just trying to work out what they're doing with the words on the page let's go on to three it says that nerve tag and public health england have assessed the currently available evidence on the new variant and have published their assessments and evidence and then we're suddenly into a different sort of language because now there is a high confidence that this variant is spreading faster than other SARS-CoV-2 but as you were saying if the if the testing is not reliable how do they actually know this well these are the words on the page and at the bottom what does it say there is some evidence that the variant is more likely to transmit within households now I thought that was a very convenient statement with where they're going but how did they work that out so um, is this pre-agreed lockdown policy the government wants to increase lockdown so in their meeting they throw in a sentence that there is also some evidence that the variant is more likely to transmit within households you haven't really got any evidence but you put a sentence in the minutes so that it makes makes it appear as though you do well well it, that is actually a very important sentence because of course i can't remember what date you said 22nd that one the day after that there was a meeting uh, of spy b which of course is the behavioral uh, crowd within sage uh, and they were absolutely pushing the narrative or that the nar they were suggesting that the narrative that needed to be pushed uh, was the requirement to wear masks inside your homes uh, inside any enclosed space including including your household uh, and uh, and so there this is the next uh, narrative which is going to come right so now we can see that the first meeting really didn't have any evidence to support that but you're now showing that that was grabbed by the spy b behavioral team and that's now being implemented in more draconian lockdown policy and of course that's exactly how this whole thing works there's no evidence for it somebody says it whether it be a politician or the media and then other politicians and other media repeat that uh, and, and, and and that validates the original un, unverified untested uh, information. No information yes okay and they criticize social media for doing this sort of sort of thing right so on to the next three paragraphs four five and six number four uh, we've got it's not yet known whether there is a difference in generation time or duration of the infections period so they don't really know about this vaccine that's that one number five there's uh, sorry not the vaccine the the, uh, the new virus variant. the yeah. virus uh, number five there's not yet any evidence which suggests a different disease course from other variants now I found this was this was quite interesting because in this document there is no mention at all about an increased death rate and I'm in a moment David I'm going to come on to what actually the risk is that all of this is about because they don't really say what the risk is but six it says it's not yet clear whether the fastest spread observed with this variant is consistent across age groups or if there's a greater increase in transmission relative to other variants in some age groups so it's not yet known there's not yet any evidence it's not yet clear there's nothing here David there is nothing of substance in this report nothing of substance uh, but that's no problem because we, we've got a solution to that it's called the precautionary principle now what the, what the precautionary principle is if you put forward some evidence it might be anecdotal it might be poorly conceived it might be poorly gathered and uh, not peer-reviewed or not able to stand up to scrutiny but it is nonetheless some evidence uh, that there's a problem under the precautionary principle there, there could be a problem so we have to act now to avoid the problem so the precautionary principle says we will destroy society to save society and all we need is some evidence it doesn't matter how bad it is it doesn't matter how illogical it is it doesn't matter how laughable it is it's still some evidence and that's all we need and apart from that it's just very sad that uh, the actor Andrew Sachs who played Manuel in uh, Faulty Towers is no longer with us 
because he could have had a second career, um, a, sort of, a sort of Indian summer career as a government spokesman, saying, I know nothing, over and over. Okay, well, let, let's go on. I think we're getting the flavour of this document. The whole thing is complete nonsense and needs to be treated. So seven, whilst it's theoretically possible that mutations might alter immune recognition, this is currently considered low probability on the available evidence. This is, this is so wishy-washy as to be incredible. Current rates of vaccination are unlikely to significantly change the epidemiology in the near future, though this would change if rates increase as planned. And that is talking about the planned increase in vaccination rates. Eight, it says there's currently no evidence of any association between the new variants and increases in transmission in particular settings, e.g. hospitals and care homes. So we don't know anything about this um, virus, but we're able to say, well, on one hand, um, we, we've said that it, it can spread uh, more easily in households, but on the other hand, oh, no, no, it's not going to spread more easily in hospitals and care homes. How uh, do they know that? Well, I guess they must know that this this variant of Corona is even more intelligent than the original variant of Corona and knows that uh, if it's in a care home, it isn't uh, any more virulent, whereas in a private private home, it is. It knows what, which kind of home it's in. So the when same it way steps it... into the normal home, little Corona changes, puts on a particularly unpleasant uh, demeanor, attacks all the people. But when Corona goes into the care homes and the hospitals, we, where we got people particularly susceptible, then actually he's quite a cuddly little teddy bear virus. Yes. Okay, it's, it's, it's looking reasonable. Nine, here's nine. It's important for public health that data on the sensitivity of tests of the new variant, including lateral flow devices, are publicly available. Okay, Public Health England reported that LFDs detect the variant with similar sensitivity to wild-type virus. But isn't it a wild-type virus? Uh, well, you, you may think that uh, in the sense Or is that, it a manufactured Chinese well, this virus? Is, this is the question. This is the question. Is it? <laughs> how has this variant arrived? But the, the key, what I noticed earlier on, Brian, there is that in earlier paragraphs, it was talking about variants with an S on the end. Uh, and now we're back to saying the variant. Uh, we know that they're claiming two variants. This is this new variant from the UK and also a variant from South Africa. But of course, many other variants have there been uh, over the last uh, nine months. I think it's something like seven or eight. And, uh, and we're consistently told that viruses mutate in the course of their natural progression. So, so, so this yeah. suggestion that, that this new variant is something different to a wild type virus seems... Uh, well, I can't really think what the word might be. Disingenuous doesn't go quite far enough. Uh, it's, it's heading there. Let's go for nine. So, uh, sorry, nine and ten. If we just pop this back on the screen, here's ten. Existing mitigation measures, e.g. social distancing, ventilation, hand hygiene and mask usage remain important. But given the increase in risk associated with the new variant, a commensurate strengthening in the measures taken rather than a need for different measures may be needed, i.e. greater use of all these mitigations. There's no evidence for differences in routes of transmission or different survival on surfaces. So I'm just going to highlight the bit here, given the increase in risk associated. But what is the risk? And I come back to you on this one, David, because in this document, there is no defined risk of anything. Is it risk of catching it and you test positive and that's a bit inconvenient? Or is it that you catch it and the next minute you're dead and you're carted out in a coffin? There is no risk identified in the document. So this whole document is false and, and should be disregarded. It's, it's mind boggling. 99 times out of 100, Brian, Risk is a meaningless term um, because risk is the combination of the probability of an event and the consequence of that event. Probability is two definitions. Under the International Standards Organization, there's two definitions. It's either a long-term observable prob um, statistical um, recurrence of an event measured between zero and one, or it's a belief. And those two, those two terms are both in the standard and they're interchangeable. There's a risk, Brian, because spy B believes there's a risk. 
their belief has made the, made the risk spontaneously come into being. They have thought it into there, thought it in, into our lives. It is, it is no more substantial than that. Sounds like the Bank of England and money, David. <laughs> okay. That one later. Yeah. On, on to 11 then. We're just about through this now, but we thought the detail was important. Number 11, it's highly unlikely, it's, sorry, it's highly unlikely that measures with stringency and endurance in line with the measures in England in November, i.e. with schools open, will be sufficient to maintain R below 1 in the present of the new variants, variant. R would be lower with schools closed, with closure of secondary schools likely to have a greater effect than closure of primary schools. It remains difficult to distinguish where, trans sorry, where <laughs> transmission between children takes place. And it is important to consider contacts made outside of schools. Again, if you actually read this and consider what's being said, nothing is being said. This is playing with words. It's extraordinary. So let's put in, again, what they have admitted that it's not yet known, there's not yet any evidence, it's not yet clear. And they know nothing about the strain, they don't define the risk, they don't understand how the new variant is spreading, yet we need more lockdown because it is highly unlikely that existing measured measures would work. So we're gonna be locked down because that's what the government wanted them to find before they sat down in their meeting. It goes on here, 12, the introduction of tier four measures in England combined with the school holidays will be informative of the strength of measures required to control the new variant, but analysis of this will not be possible until mid-July. January. Uh, Mid-January. Mid so they are uh, quite happy to say that they're going to trial this stuff in order to see whether it actually tells them. So you're going to be locked up in your house in order for the SAGE team in a few weeks' time to see whether that did anything meaningful. But they've already said in their document it won't do anything meaningful because this thing has mutated and has now become deadly corony. On it goes, the potential for the new variant to increase transmission, adherence uh, to interventions will remain critical, other variants and mutations and then we've got to get really worried now because there's a special South African variant. Um, that's probably poisonous as well, I think. And uh, who are the people? Well, these are the people that we're going to suggest to our audience today. We really need to be focusing in on these individuals. Who are they? What are their interests? Who's paying them? Where are the vested interests? These are the people that need to be named and shamed because they are locking us down with no evidence. And this organisation also gets a mention in the document under those present Government Office for Science. And many of the individuals coming from the Government Office for Science were actually blacked out. So we presume this is all tied in with national security. Why do they want the security? Because they don't want the public to understand that uh, I'm going to use the term scam. This is a scam. On uh, one of the names was this lady. I've just put her name on screen to show that you can follow these individuals through. And I think that she was tied in with one of the, the um, pharmaceutical companies, Zeneca, I think, at one stage. So it's very interesting to follow um, the route through to see who the people are making these crass decisions and uh, what their allegiances are. Um, you said uh, the words you used were deadly virus. Well, we should remember that whenever uh, Matt Han Hancock initially announced this new variant, uh, which saw borders being closed and flights being stopped between Britain and other European countries and other uh, countries around the world, uh, he said that while it was more infectious, it was much less deadly. Um, so again, why are we locking down tighter? Um, if this uh, is more infectious but significantly less deadly, uh, then what is the problem? Uh, I'm going to suggest there is no problem. This is a political tool in order to change the nature of the country, which we're, we're now seeing happen in front of our eyes. Uh, well, let's uh, head north of the border and lock down uh, David and the courier here. Um, saying that the police used coronavirus laws to intervene over 9,000 times in Tayside and Fife last year. Is that from uh, effectively March or uh, until the present? 
Yes, yes. So the population of Tayside and Fife's about 770,000. So if you take that as uh, indicative of the rest of the UK, and I suspect it's probably less common there than the rest of the UK, but let's, let's assume that that's an average. That would equate to, across the UK, 800,000 interactions between the police and the public over coronavirus legislation. Now, it's generally people in groups, um, sometimes groups of hundreds, but let's say, well, it might be 10, because it's a rule of six, right? It's allowed six for quite a long time. So if the average number of people that the police are interacting with was, say, 10, that would give you 8 million. We're talking about a very sizable proportion of the United Kingdom population, maybe something like, maybe something like an eighth, have actually been threatened by the police over this. So it's not just um, the government's endless um, scare stories. It's not just the BBC and their accomplices constantly talking about fear. But actually the police have been directly threatening a very sizable proportion of our population. Now, um, you would think that um, Amnesty International might be a little concerned about this. But no, let me read what they've got to say. And Naomi McAloot, um, um, Amnesty International Scottish Programme Director, said, we are living in extraordinary times. And Amnesty International recognises the need for the necessary and proportionate measures to prevent and control the spread of endemic disease um, at the core of our right to health. So you see, we're, we're being locked down to you know, protect our rights. That's why our rights are being removed. Our rights are being removed in order to protect our rights. It's Orwellian. She continues, However, we have been clear from the outset of the emergency period that measures which amount to restrictions or limitations on other rights enjoyed by people, enjoyed, not, not, not possessed, enjoyed by people in the UK and Scotland, or the UK and Scotland, okay, well, that's interesting, must be compatible and in, with international rights standards. That's an interesting phrase as well. That means, amongst other requirements, emergency measures must be of a duration strictly limited to the needs of the situation. With a straight face, she says this, subject to review and uh, risks to rights must be mitigated. Risks to rights must be mitigated. What is this woman on? She added, Police Scotland's use of temporary powers has been independently assessed and found to be fair and legal. So there we go, Amnesty International. Everything's fine. There's nothing to see here. We're all, we're, we're all of our rights to, uh, for, to, to speak publicly, to assemble, uh, to leave our homes, to go about our, our business, all gone. Amnesty International says, no, 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 it's fine. It's okay. Um, Amnesty, Amnesty International um, uh, logo, motto, is the very inspiring, better to light a candle than curse the darkness. Now, I'm suggesting here that this needs to be changed because, because candles are a fire risk. And the precautionary principle applies. And uh, candles are dangerous. We, we, can't light, we can't just go about having everyone lighting candles. These people are untrained. They're not being supervised by the state. This, this random lighting of candle stuff has got to stop. Um, so Amnesty International, to change that, something to endorse darkness, I think, would be more appropriate, given their current policy. And of course, we, we need just to reinforce the fact that Amnesty International, very quick to point fingers at countries overseas, um, warning that they're dictatorships, that there's uh, arrests and no justice, people being beaten on the streets. That's what Amnesty International has been talking about for years. But when it starts happening in UK, um, well, don't worry, because an independent body, probably under uh, under. Uh, uh, the Scottish government has, has reviewed the Scottish police and everything's OK. So I think we'll give uh, Amnesty International, I'm creating this on the spot, the 2084, that's the year, 2084 award for um, sheer hypocrisy. Mm. Well, let's go on because the, the independent review, of course, was someone appointed by Police Scotland. because That's how independence works in Scotland. Um, but let's go to Deputy Chief Constable uh, Malcolm Graham, right, who looks, a, who, who looks a lovely chap. Here we see him here, um, smiling for the camera. Uh, uh, so he's talking about the COVID policing. He says, 
Though the rules have changed often and at times quickly, officers have used common sense, empathy and discretion to work with our fellow citizens to help keep everyone safe. Ryan, do you have any comments on that one? No, because I no, I've, I think I should live. I, I winced as you read those words because actually they make me feel quite sick. Empathy. So we've got empathy. He continues. Uh, they will continue to explain. They, the police, uh, surely we, but anyway, they will continue to explain the rules to the public and encourage people to take personal responsibility and do the right thing. The right thing being defined as exactly what the state says without thinking about it. But that's the definition of the right thing under Police Scotland. Uh, where officers encounter willful and persistent breaches, they will act decisively to enforce the law. So we're your friend and we're going to be empathetic. But if you disagree with us, we're going to arrest you and lock you up. That's not how friends behave. That's not empathy. But still. But it's okay, Brian. Don't worry. Because I know what you're thinking. This might affect relationships with the police. But no. He continues. It's encouraging that public confidence in policing has increased significantly during this period. And we will always value the bond of trust we have with our fellow citizens. He uses the phrase twice. Um, this, I think, is a very interesting little bit of PR spin. Um, the police are involved in locking down the, the population. They're uh, imposing uh, rules that are utterly unlawful. I mean, they're completely opposed to everything that this country was built on in terms of law for not only hundreds of years. This goes back a millennia, a millennium or more. And, and it's being trashed, and the police are doing it. And the reason that he's on there talking about fellow citizens and empathy is because he is very nervous about what they are doing. He doesn't have any justification for what he's doing that he can, that he can um, bring forward, other than it's policy, other than I am following orders. Because he must know the same as everyone else knows that all-cause mortality is basically normal. Not being a, it's not been a significant increase. He knows, I'm sure better than most people, that the hospitals are not overflowing with COVID patients. And yet he's removing all of our rights. So this, this conversation about empathy and fellow citizens, this is cover because he's afraid. He's afraid of what this is going to do to policing. And I think he's right to be afraid. I think that's a fair yeah. assessment. Yeah, and, and what is being built, a prison is being built in this country, and uh, who, who ends up in that prison? Well, uh, maybe we all do, but we'll certainly say future generations are going to end up in, in that prison, and the children of the police in this country, their, their own parents, their fathers, their mothers who work with the police are helping to build that prison system. And I think that's the saddest thing, is this man, has this man really got no courage, no guts to actually stand up and say what the government is pushing is wrong? Is he such a coward? Is he so afraid, David? You know, where's the Braveheart spirit? Clearly not in the Scottish police. Or anywhere else in any branch of the state. Uh, one of the things that we're going to have, we'll talk about this later in the programme, the compliance of every state official with this. The, the, there is sufficient fear because they know it means their job. The career's gone, the job's gone. If he was to stand up and say, I have concerns about this, instant suspension, disciplinary, end of career, um, if not actually uh, jail time. I mean, he, he knows he would be toast. Now, he doesn't maybe think that he would get support, and of course he would. But he's been busy um, forcing down the ability of the, the, the population to provide support and, and, and resistance to, to tyranny. So maybe he doesn't think that that would, would help him. This is the trap they get, the, the police and others will get themselves in. They are going to, they're going to destroy the very people, institutions, organisations that would actually be there for them uh, if they decided to stand up and tell the truth. Um, so they're, they're building their own cage. Uh, yes, indeed. Well, let's see who else is building a cage. Uh, here's uh, Public Health England. Uh, now, on one of the Public Health England 
pages, it says quite clearly, registered medical practitioners in England and Wales have a statutory duty to notify uh, their local authority or local health protection team of suspected cases of certain infectious diseases. Now, David, uh, just let me begin by asking you, when you see the words that they have a statutory duty, um, do you see that as an optional thing? No, that would that would be they're employed by the state. They would have absolutely no choice in the matter. No choice in the matter. That is uh, how I read that as well. So keep that in mind as we progress through this little section. So statutory duty to notify their local authority. Now, many people have been commenting on the fact that uh, Public Health England produces uh, a notifiable infectious diseases weekly report uh, and uh, many people pushing around this uh, particular uh, issue of it, the statutory notifications of infectious diseases in England and Wales, week 2020-51. So this is the week ending the 20th of December 2020. Uh, and there were a total of 50 COVID-19 notifications uh, in that week. Um, and uh, well, many people questioning why this figure is so different uh, to the figure uh, that uh, we see in the mainstream press for the number of people that are uh, testing positive for COVID-19 or have COVID-19. Um, and uh, well, I mean, this certainly would not imply that the hospitals are overflowing. Um, and you know, the question is, what, why the disparity in the numbers? Uh, well, I asked Public Health England about this, and this was their response. Uh, they said COVID-19 cases are identified through more than one route, which reduces the reliance on a single system of clinical notification. Uh, notifications of infectious disease reports are simply one relatively minor route for clinicians to report suspected cases of COVID-19, which may or may not be subsequently confirmed. So before I just complete this little uh, uh, statement from Public Health England, I don't see that this position is compatible with the other position, David, um, of suggesting that something which is statutory, statutorily required is therefore relatively minor. Is this, is this the difference between positive PCR tests and actual cases? I mean, things with symptoms requiring medical attention. Is that what we're seeing here? This, this is the question, and it's completely not clear. And the, and the, the, the statement from Public Health England uh, isn't giving us any clue. So uh, just to finish off what it says, that the, the numbers from that document do not in any way represent a total number of confirmed cases. The national total for confirmed positive cases is published daily on the government's COVID-19 dashboard. So this statement from Public Health England gives me no clue as to what the figures, you know, if, if that uh, document, if the, the, uh, infectious, the notification of infectious diseases document is so low key and so unimportant, then why is it even published at all under these circumstances when the government has the COVID-19 dashboard? It seems to me that there is a massive disparity between the figures that are appearing in that uh, document. And those figures are as a result of a statutory requirement to notify and therefore Clinicians, GPs do not have an option about whether they notify it. They can't, they can't choose to notify uh, one way rather than the other, it seems to me. Uh, that is a statutory requirement. And therefore, they've, if they've got multiple routes to, for notification, they've got to notify via them all. Uh, otherwise, what is the point of the statute? Well, this is very interesting. I wonder if confirmed positive cases is a different... It's, a, it's, it's something different. It's a different definition from the from the traditional definition of a case, because positive would imply PCR test positive, which is a different thing entirely. It's very suspicious. It's um, uh, it, it, it it does seem to make sense though, in that there is an enormous difference between the stats that we are being fed by the state, and the real nature of the problem. And these these figures that you've got there, where it's clinical notifications seem to be more in line with what we're seeing as the real nature of the problem, the real scale of the problem, which is, of course, a fraction of the hype uh, and the, the propaganda and the message coming from the state. Any thoughts? 
Well, I'm afraid I was going to cynically say I'm sure that David isn't doubting that the British government would tell the truth to the population <laughs> about the um, I think the British government is lying over these figures. I think they've consistently lied. The lie is usually carried out by spin. It's twisting of data rather than direct falsification. It's how you present the data, how it's twisted. But we are, to be crude about it, we're not seeing the coffins coming out of houses, which if we had a full mm. pandemic running, we would see the death everywhere. And of course, nobody's seeing the death. Yeah, there are tragic cases of people dying inside uh, hospitals and care homes. But out in the wider public, we are simply not seeing the bodies coming out of the houses. So there cannot be a pandemic by a simple analysis of what we're seeing. Um, okay, well, uh, I'm very happy to, to, I was asked to push, uh, push this particular organisation, the UK Medical Freedom Alliance. I'm very happy to do that because I think what they've done here is given people uh, exactly what they've been asking, which is template letters. Um, so this is a group of, uh, of uh, GPs, other doctors, uh, a lawyer or two, uh, and they're calling themselves professionals supporting medical choice and informed consent. They've got uh, a broader group of people uh, giving them advice. Uh, and uh, well, the first open letter here is the open letter to the MHRA, uh, JCVI and Matt Hancock regarding the COVID-19 vaccine rollout. Uh, and they're saying that they outlined their concerns that a rushed rollout of any COVID-19 vaccine may compromise safety, especially as many of the vaccines are using a completely novel technology. Uh, we present evidence that suggests that the mortality and morbidity, morbidity from SARS-CoV-2 is no longer uh, an existential threat to society. We argue that the morbidi morbidity and mortality impact on public health from SARS-CoV-2 must be balanced with the risks and costs of a vaccine rollout. Uh, we set out the legal and moral obligation to ensure that enough information about risks and benefits of the vaccine is available to allow people to give inform fully informed consent. And we would like to encourage our supporters to send a copy of this letter to their MP. And I think this is a very good idea. Uh, and I would like to encourage people to do the same. Uh, there's a second uh, letter here, uh, and this is the open letter to Education Minister on mass testing in schools. Uh, and there, this was uh, published just before Christmas. And they're saying, in light of the government press releases on the 15th and 17th of December, outlining a policy of mass testing of all secondary school children before they can return to schools in January 2021, uh, they have sent a fully referenced open letter to Gavin Williamson, the Department for Education and the Department for Health and Social Care to outline their concerns relating to informed consent, the validity of the tests and the lack of evidence for asymptomatic spread of SARS-CoV-2. And again, they say, please share far and wide, including MPs and schools and head teachers. Uh, and I would uh, absolutely encourage everybody to do this as well. Uh, the letters in both cases are extremely well written. They're fully evidenced. If you would prefer to uh, go ahead and uh, take that evidence and write your own letter, then that would be probably even better. But nonetheless, as it stands, uh, these are exactly the kind of thing many people have been asking for. Get them out. Yeah, because uh, we can have an effect if enough people are doing these things is the key bit. Um, but David, uh, the Pope has been busy. Pope's written a book. Um, now, I know what you're thinking. This sounds like the book Obama wrote, but it's different. Slightly. Called Let Us Dream. And yes. Right, it's called Let Us Dream. Um, the Holy Father of Fraternity, writes The Guardian. The Guardian liked this. In reflections written during lockdown, the pontiff adds his weight to a growing group of people seeking a return to community-minded values. So there you go, Brian. You've been warning about communitarianism for all these years. And um, the Pope's not been listening to you. He's, he's, he's behind the communitarian push. Um, so the Guardian goes on quoting the book. This is the moment to dream big, he writes, to rethink our priorities, what we value, what we want, what we seek, and commit to an act in our daily life, to, sorry, commit to act in our daily life on what we have dreamed of. So this is, of course, the Great Reset. This is the Pope is now pushing the Great Reset. Very interesting. The Guardian continues, but this book should be read as a work of prophecy. Prophecy! This is The Guardian we're, writing, we're reading here. Prophecy and hope rather than analysis. In the final section, 
Francis writes that COVID has taught us that, quote, no one is saved alone. Now, um, this is very interesting. Theologically, we might discuss this in extra time. Uh, I would say that uh, Pope Francis doesn't appear to know that people are saved by the blood of the Lamb, and uh, group activity has really nothing to do with it. But anyway, um, that acknowledge demand, uh, sorry, that knowledge demands a new politics of inclusion. He believes it equips us to both avoid excessive individualism and the aggressive populism that thrives on identifying enemies at home and abroad. Eternity, the Pope, the Pope insists, is the new frontier capable of knitting together the often competing demands of liberty and equality. He continues, without the we of a people, Francis writes, of a family, of institutions, of a society that transcends the eye of the individual interest, we are left with a battle for supremacy between factions and interest. Now, this is, of course, um, a projection. This is accusing the, your opponents of the thing that you are yourself guilty of, because he's coming here from a social justice warrior perspective. This is identity politics. This is group identity. Um, and that is the pitting of one group against the other. It's a battle for supremacy between factions and interests. That's the very thing that this left-wing politics that he's pushing has in fact promoted. And here he's saying, well, we need more of this in order to protect us from, from the thing itself. He's, he's projecting the thing that he is guilty of onto the opposing uh, viewpoint. So that's a, that's a very interesting um, uh, um, bit of, well, we said witchcraft before, but it's the same sort of thing. It's using words to create an impression that's entirely false. Uh, well, all um, I wanted to no, say is to... I smiled at The Guardian because a few days earlier, The Guardian had a very interesting editorial article in which it, it bemoans the fact that Christians were a real nuisance in all sorts of ways. But there was a new liberal Christianity emerging and you could be a proper Christian, a liberal Christian, as long as you supported abortion. So if we're murdering babies in the womb, you're, you're a good Christian and you can buy your guardian with confidence. Sorry to be a bit cynical there. Yes, I, I, but, but if, you, if you have any nasty opinions about individual liberty, freedom, or perhaps the, um, the, 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 the struggle for, for liberty that this country has led um, for uh, hundreds, if not thousands of years, um, the Pope has, it will be saddened by that. You'll make the Pope sad. You don't want to do that, Ryan. Make the Pope sad. Uh, Mail online here. Pope said he's saddened by COVID rule breakers. So, see, if you give your, your granny a hug, uh, you make the Pope sad. Um, who are ignoring travel restrictions during the pandemic as he condemns people after looking after their own interests above others. So, this is a complete sellout to the, to the lie. It, it's amazing how much one lie that COVID's a deadly pandemic and that you're, by being, by behaving normally, you're forming a, a serious existential risk to everyone around you. Um, buying that lie transforms everything into, into the lie. It's, it's lies are viruses and uh, the Pope's uh, testing positive. Yes, very good. And uh, well, uh, if, if that's the Pope, what about Godfrey Bloom? Ah, now, from one extreme to the other, Godfrey Bloom is uh, a national treasure, let's face it, uh, and uh, he's been speaking out on things as well. And uh, he says, um, on mask wearing, mask has nothing to do with health. It is, it is about a facial flag of surrender to the mighty state, a modern form of yellow star. Um, that is the uncompromising language that we've grown to know and love from Godfrey Bloom and is, of course, correct. We know that masks don't do anything for your health. They might actually be harmful. We don't, we don't know exactly the extent of that, but we know they don't help. Um, they don't cut down your risk of infection. You're not any safer. And uh, what, what are they? They are a, they are a, a, a means of, of saying that I'm surrendering to the state. I do not resist. I'm complying. Don't hurt me. I'm complying. 
Yeah, don't hurt me. And of course, we, we have to add to that since he's, he's, he's mentioned the yellow star. What he's also saying, of course, is the state is, is changing. It's becoming a brutal dictatorship. And I think the evidence for that is all there. I think we might have a little uh, video clip in a, uh, a second, but I wanted to just bring this lady up on uh, screen, um, Debbie Hicks. Many people commented over the last few days, this lady who took a camera, dared take a camera into Gloucester Hospital. And uh, as she walked around, she filmed emptiness. Uh, and she found this very strange since uh, hospitals are at full capacity. They can barely quote, co uh, cope. Um, but as a result of that, she was arrested, handcuffed, accused of being mentally ill and eventually had the police effectively pressurising, harassing her after she'd been released to sign a bail form. They tried to get her husband to sign that form. And what we're seeing is really brutal behaviour. Why? Because she took a camera inside a hospital. Um, are we able to show any of that? Yeah, well, what do you want? Do you want to see the, the just footage from... From the hospital itself yeah we just show a little bit of the hospital and then we should we should have a little segment showing the police in her house just to get a measure of what democracy is like in um, uh, boris johnson's conservative uh, uk at the moment empty hospital look look at it this is a disgrace i've never seen oh my god look at this it is so dead Please do not sit here. Yeah, not much chance of that, is there? All the people in our country desperately waiting for treatment, cancer treatment, heart disease. Look at this. this honestly, this is making me so angry walking around here. This is making me angry. Share the hell out of this guy's truth. Look at the truth here. Do not come back to this post with bullshit when there's a completely empty hospital I'm walking around. I'm so angry. So I encourage you to go and have a look at that video because it goes on for a couple more minutes. She walks around several areas of the hospital. She looks in uh, locked doors at wards which are empty and locked up. And the main foyer of the hospital is virtually deserted apart from a couple of elderly ladies that walk out at one stage. A&E just has two or three people sitting there, but you can hear the echo in those corridors. There's no people in the floors that in, in the corridors that she's going on or in the wards that she's looking into. The hospital is echoing with emptiness. Let's look at this next clip, which is just a, a, a quick look at the police arriving at her house early in the morning to arrest her. She's in a dressing gown. Can you ask him to put some clothes on underneath? Can you ask him to put some clothes on well i'll just say david if if the uh, police in scotland are carrying out a, a policy of loving the public then that same policy certainly going on here in in england so they arrived to arrest her they did arrest her handcuffed her took her away obviously she had to get dressed there she managed to get uh, get herself into her bedroom to get dressed um, but um, the police didn't appear to have any form of arrest warrant so she's taken back to the police station she is questioned uh, but because she refused to answer questions they then suggest that perhaps she's got uh, mental health issues and they bring in a lady from a from a charity I'm afraid I've forgotten the name of the charity concerned but it would appear to be a mental health charity they bring a supposedly responsible person into the interview room to sit down um, with Debbie she said the whole experience was truly disgusting uh, but what crime did she commit she took a camera 
into an NHS hospital. Just give you a 10 second response on that. We're watching the clock at the moment. What was the charge? What, telling the truth? Was that, what, what do you actually get charged with in Britain these days for speaking the truth and going into a building which you allegedly own as a member of the public, bothering no one, uh, and simply recording the, the condition of that building at the time? What charge? Well, well, look, the, the, the first point on ownership, of course, we don't own these buildings because most of them have been built under some kind of public finance initiative, uh, co you know, contract uh, where there's still outstanding debt on the on the building with the, with the uh, with the contractor. So so we don't own these buildings. They're considered private land. And I've, I've seen other <laughs> other similar videos, David. Uh, there's one from Croydon Hospital, for example, where the police are saying to the guy with the with the camera, you're on private land. So this is considered private land. Many people believe it to be public land, but it's not. Uh, we're being told in the chat box that it was um, it was claimed it was a public order offence at the time, but it's certainly unclear as to what they were really doing. I think it was outright intimidation. Go round to her house, shake her up early in the morning, arrest her. So let's bring in the duck. Uh, what's the significance between the police arresting a lady in a dressing gown and a duck? Well, I think I can convince you. If it looks like a duck, swims like a duck and quacks like a duck, then it probably is a duck. Should we pay attention to this? I think we should. Uh, so let's look at the UK democracy duck. Uh, first of all, we've got lockdown. We've got state restrictions on family gatherings. We've got state restrictions on social gatherings. We've got state controls as to who can stay in your own home. Elderly relatives are now forcibly taken from family protection and held in state-controlled care homes. State travel controls have been enforced. State border controls are enforced. State control of the media is clearly happening. Public free speech gatherings are unlawful. We've seen a video clip about that in this news. State police brutalise, arrest, detain and intimidate the population. Security services used against the people. Army employed on the streets. And mental health and psychiatric system is used to humiliate intimidate and detain so that is the uk democracy duck but if we change one word uh, on your screen everything else changes so let's well it's two words let's change lockdown and replace it with curfew and the moment we do that and look at all those other state restrictions we know that the duck that we're really looking at is a police state duck in uk uh, mike it's it's evident um, there has been a there's been a coup. There's been a silent coup in UK. We are no longer in any form of democracy. Every single one of those rules is real. It's happening. You were unable to travel at the at Christmas as a result of these travel and border restrictions. Uh, we're living in a dictatorship, a police state. Uh, absolutely, and David, uh, just very briefly. I mean, uh, this has happened one step at a time we've slowly and surely got it okay it accelerated during 2020 but when you see that list um you see how far britain has come and you've made the point several times in this program already this is unrecon unrecognizable as as the nation uh, that created uh common law and and our constitution we are no longer that country that was exactly what I was thinking when I first saw the video of, of, of the lady you just showed getting arrested. Um, I'd seen her video of the hospital, and then I saw this her getting arrested and the, the, the policeman acting and the way he was acting. And I thought, my good grief, this is, we're, this is Britain. We're British. We're putting up with this. We're doing this to ourselves. It's It's... Stunning, and we're going to have to wake up as a, as a nation, as a people. We are going to have to wake up because this is going to get worse and worse and worse until we do. Uh, it is indeed. Uh, what are we going to do? It's five past two. I think we should certainly put our adverts uh, up. Well, we should, yes. Okay, and let's let's do that. So if you like what the UK Column's do, doing and you would like to support us, then please do join the community and help us out. Uh, go to ukcolumn.org forward slash community and there are options to help us out there. And because this is going to be the year of censorship, I'm quite certain of it, 
uh, we do need you to start sharing uh, our materials. So aside from the material that's on our main website, which is ukcolumn.org, uh, do also uh, share the stuff that we push out on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and BitChute. Uh, be, we'll be putting up other locations in the not too distant future, uh, but uh, do share everything uh, from everywhere. And, uh, and that certainly is going to help uh, because uh, the censorship regime, I think, is not too far down the road. Uh, not, not too far down the road at all. I think we should go to the last slide to end the news. We'll save material that we have for uh, an extra in a few minutes. Yes. Uh, but I think this one is worth looking at. David, it's over to you again on this one. Well spotted. Clearly you had your binoculars. This is, uh, this is RAF Luton uh, having a laugh. I mean, there is still some British humour um, floating about the place and occasionally it's sneaking out. Uh, and they've got a, a photograph here of a, of a, of a typhoon fighter jet uh, swooping over the road with some, um, uh, some, some cars travelling along below. And the text reads, Breaking a Eurovision typhoon fighter jet has intercepted a car with four occupants on the M11 in Chigwell, London, making a non-essential journey during COVID-19 Tier 5 lockdown restrictions. Um, yeah, uh, people are laughing at it. Humour's our friend, humour's our weapon. Uh, and it is laughable, but it's also serious. Now, um, that's uh, 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 a video, I'm sorry, a, a tweet there that shows that people are seeing it as it is, right? It's ridiculous, it's unjustifiable, and it's oppressive, um, and we should resist. And one of the ways we can resist is showing it with humour. Indeed. Absolutely. With the evidence and facts to back up that humour. Uh, we just end finally by saying a very big thank you to everybody who sent us wonderful cards, emails, uh, other communications thanking us for what we've been doing hoping that we had a good Christmas break we have had a good break we're delighted to be back and uh, the biggest compliment that you've all given us is the fact that uh, people are saying we don't bother to watch any of the mainstream media anymore we're coming to UK column and what you're providing us with is keeping us sane and I think that is that's a tremendous comment uh, compliment so thank you very much and uh, stay with us as we try to expand what we're doing in 2021, also known as 2084. We'll leave it there. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.